Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to a very special episode of Goblin Lore Podcast. We have a wonderful guest lined up for you tonight, but first, um, I'd like to thank the Grinding Coffee Company. They're our sponsor, uh, LBTG and Minority Run Coffee Company, providing all your caffeine needs. Uh, thank you again for them to sponsoring us all the time. Uh, I'm Taya, she, her, or they, them. You can find me at Taya Transcends on Twitter um, until I get booted off. I'm... I'm working on it. I'm going to get banned eventually. I'll see what see what finally does it, but I'm going to get there. Um, and uh, joining us today, uh, we don't have Hob, but Alex is here with us tonight. Hi, I'm Alex Newman, found on, well, I'd say found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler, but I have taken Twitter off my phone, so I might not be found there in the future, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and my pronouns are he, him. And I am very excited to introduce our guest tonight. Um, she's been doing uh, more and more magic story lately. Uh, most recently, the uh, Nihiri Number One comic from Boom Studios. Uh, welcome, Sean and McGuire. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. My pronouns are she, her, and my name is mostly made of vowels. Yeah, and you're like. Super well known for being an amazing writer, um, Cat, and most recently Magic, and especially plain, anything to do with Planeswalkers. Yes. I'm um, a very big Planeswalker fan. Yeah, you have a you have a brand on Twitter for sure. Mm -hmm. I so, mean, everybody uh, needs one. Yeah, um, and we're going to be talking a lot about the Nahiri comic tonight. Um, so, spoiler warning, if you haven't read it yet, please go buy it wherever you buy comics now and read it and then come back to the podcast. Um, or maybe we'll hype it up enough that you actually decide to go buy it afterwards. Either way, buy it. So we keep getting more of these wonderful comics or they've been fantastic. The Johnny one is also amazing. And I want to keep seeing more of these. Um, so yeah, I guess we can get right into it. Um, we always start with an opening question, and uh, I'll pose it to you first, even though I have a feeling I know what the answer is here. But if you could pick a Planeswalker to have their own comic book series, who would it be? I think you are correct about my answer. Um, I I would honestly give a comic book series to Tyvar Kell out of Kaldheim. We've had very little story stuff with him thus far, but he is one of the best like truly good-hearted planeswalkers he's a golden retriever with packs <laughs> and watching him wander around the multiverse just encounter things would be delightful i think that we have plenty of big smashy smashy action and the world is going to end again what we don't have enough of is kaya taking tyvar around to all the coffee houses on ravnica so that he can experience biscotti that sounds amazing. You just did a Twitter thread on why everyone should love Tyvar more, and that was such a fantastic thread. I, I, I do basically that same thread like every six weeks because it frustrates me that no one's getting on the Tyvar train. Like, the boy's just amazing. Plus, he could put Teferi in the ground, no problem, and that's horrifying. Yeah, yeah it is. It's just like Omnixilis was um, the one who could put Gideon in the ground. Uh and yeah, I like your point about him being able to take on Teferi. That just shows how awesome his power set is. And I would love to see more of his power set. There's so much you can do with transmutation. Oh yeah. Um, for me, I would like a, I would like a redone. Um, Chandra had her own comic book series, but it wasn't very good. Um, Was it sadly. in the Boom continuity? 
Not in the Boom continuity. Okay. I want her... It was done before Boom started doing Magic Comics. Okay. So the really nice thing about the comics continuity is that it is not the game continuity. Which mm-hmm. means right now the only comic continuity that is canon is the stuff that Boom has published. Everything else was in a different multiverse. Chandra yeah. is more than up for her own series again. Or a miniseries. Yeah. You know, I would miniseries. absolutely love for her to get her own series. And I just want to see... You know, she has that, I mean, she's still a relatively young woman and just has that wide-eyed curiosity and wants to see what everything is and then see what it does when it's on fire. Yeah. So I I think for for my answer, I'd go with with Garrick. And I'm kind of cheating here. And unfortunately, Hobbs isn't here to kind of chuckle at the fact that I like to cheat when we do these answers because... I kind of I want to kind of take a story idea that I heard somebody pitch on Twitter, and unfortunately I can't remember who it was, but they wanted a story where Gar- it's centered sort of around Garrick, but really it's about him being the best dad for the Kenrith twins while they're competing on like the Battle Bond world. Aww, and that oh, just yeah. I, I would totally be there for Coach Garrick on Kylum. Yeah, so that's that's my. What I'd I to. I love the Kenrith twins. Um, my brother and I like to joke that if Magic the Gathering were actually a mush, the the old multi-user shared hallucination text-based role-playing games, mm-hmm. uh, Will and Rowan would in fact have been our shared application. Um, yeah, because they enco- they encapsulate very nicely who we both are as Magic players. I'm a chaotic red player. He is a blue player whose favorite archetype is solitaire. Um, and they're just built on the same kind of characters that we always play. They are fantastic. Seanan has a wonderful Will and Rowan throw at Kager commander deck um, that I have gotten the pleasure to play against several times, and I really do enjoy that deck. You say wonderful, and then you kill my poor babies every time they try to come out to party. I didn't kill either of them last week. That is true. You just did four billion damage to the rest of the table. Yes. But that did no damage to any planeswalkers. That is true. You are forgiven. So, yeah. So Nihiri came out um, what, about three weeks ago now at this mm-hmm. point? Four December weeks? December 1st. December 1st. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of flown by. I can't believe it's the uh, 18th already. Um, and this was a new... Um, definitely a whole new take on a character that we've largely seen cast as a first a, a side character uh and then as a villain um mostly and it was um just kind of for background what we've gotten in Nahiri's history is we got this mention of this character named a lithomancer from Zendikar we had no idea who it was for the longest time uh, then they released Nahiri's card in the Commander 14 set that had all the Planeswalkers, but we got no story for her then. Uh, we got a little story later about her waking up from her sleep to take care of a small Eldrazi um, breakout uh, on Zendikar sometime in the past. And then she really became central to the story in the Shadows Over Innistrad block, where she was absolutely cast as the villain of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then she got um, recast as largely the antagonist in the Zendikar Rising one. Um, clearly the person who was supposed to be opposing the um, well-intended Nyssa, uh, I, I see who, whose intentions you believe there, um, 
but Nahiri did get a little murdery um, in hers, and that's I, that was one thing I thought was really interesting is that this comic takes Nahiri in a completely different direction and does a lot to humanize her uh, that we hadn't seen before. And this is... Um, okay, my cat is currently standing on my keyboard. This is making it hard to... <laughs> um, what was so compelling about Nahiri to you that made you want to write an entire comic book about her? Uh, well, I, I love her. Um, I mean, I think that kind of shows through. But I love her in part because she is an absolute illustration of what cycles of abuse do to people. If you look at her canonical backstory without me inserting any of the things that I think should be there, she's, look at her first card. She's what, max 19 when her spark ignites? Because she is an old walker. So as soon as she sparked, she stopped aging which means that Soren picked up a baby probably on her first planes walk, if not her act, you know, if not one of those first couple um, with no one to teach her what it is to be a planes walker, no one to teach her what she is now or that she's not going to age and go through these normal life cycles like everyone else on Zendikar. And he teaches her from there. He teaches her everything she knows about being a planes walker and that her primary purpose is to protect her plane. That's your only job is keep your plane safe. And then he convinces a baby that he should be allowed to imprison the ancient evil in a can on Zendikar. Leaves the Eldrazi there and leaves her there, unaging, trapped in a community that doesn't know what a planeswalker is, with nowhere to go and no one to talk to for hundreds of years. If you look at her canonical timeline, it is straight up the story of a teenage girl who gets picked up by an older man and abused and then locked in a closet while everything she's ever known dies. Yeah, it really is pretty awful. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be up front. It's like nothing about her backstory you know, excuses her trying to wipe out the Queen of Innistrad, but you know, there's a lot there about her that shows, you know, that she wouldn't have had a chance to develop as like a normal human would have. Yeah. My big catchphrase when dealing with Nahiri in any context is cool motive, still murder. You know, she did terrible things and she doesn't deserve to just be forgiven for them because she was hurt. But she was very badly hurt by someone that has mostly gotten a pass for it, quite honestly. You know, Soren still gets to be the sexy face of Innistrad, while Nahiri just gets to be a monster again. Yeah, and I do think, though, that that, that lack of story and just the space around her does make her a fascinating character to build more out to. There's a lot of room to fill in those gaps, um, so... Though, when I asked if I could... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue your... When I asked if I could do a Nahiri comic for the follow-up to Ajani, um, because they said I could do another Planeswalker and had me pitch the ones that I might want to do, and of course Tyvar was on the list, because have you met me? Um, But when they said I could do Nahiri, they were really interested in seeing something that went into her time before the Gila Vault. And when you look at her canon timeline... The tragedy of Nahiri is that there is nothing canonical before the Gila Vault. 
She sparks. Soren trains her. Soren convinces her to help him fight the Eldrazi. The Eldrazi are imprisoned on Innistrad. She hangs out awake for two, three hundred years, watches everyone she's ever known or loved get old and die, and then goes to sleep. And she sleeps until Obnixilis starts messing with stuff and the Eldrazi start to stir. Nahiri doesn't get to have a life. She she never has an existence other than this waiting game that Soren has put her into. So she's never learned emotional regulation. She never learned to play nicely with the other children. What she learned was that being a planeswalker is this brutal thing where you beat the crap out of people and then you lock them in stuff. So she really just brought Soren back the lessons that he taught her. Yeah, which um, you just a- answered my next question was whether you pitched Nahiri or they asked you to do Nahiri. So I, I think it's it, it's a it was a good good choice on a character. There's so many planeswalkers that have little to no story that um, uh, I think that she was a very good choice to write this comic around. And the comic is beautiful and it stretches across multiple planes. I made my poor artist go through like 10 planes in two pages. I thought I was going to get shanked in a parking lot. Um, I did have a question about the the planes choices actually were, were, was, did you choose those planes or was that more of a collaboration between you and some folks from wizards I chose all the planes that we went to, uh, basically based on does that plane have a truly iconic mountain? Um, We did get bounced off of one plane that I had wanted to go to, and I I don't remember the name of it now. Um, But it turns out that it didn't exist when I wanted to have Nahiri swinging through. Um, Okay, that's a good reason not to I I do. I I can see why Mercadia made the list now. If unique mountains was one of the criteria for Mm -hmm. visiting the plane, yeah, there there are no hints buried in the planes that Nahiri goes through. It was just in story she is trying to find mountains that she can bring pieces of back to the mountain she is friends with, so that the mountain can learn from those other mountains. Um, And I needed the best iconic mountains we've created over thirty years of a card game. So. And that kind of gets to the central story of, of this comic, and it, it really is, all in all, it's kind of about making a first friend and kind of understanding what friends are and just change in general, you know, and, and lack of change. Um, so putting a, a, you know, an old walker, a mortal walker, contrasting that with the way a mountain would experience age was a really interesting take on the whole concept. Yeah, I just needed to find something that would live as long as she did that wasn't another planeswalker because you're working in this space where you have to avoid colliding with anything established. And there were so few available old walkers that are as old as she is. And and the first visit to the mountain in this book predates like even the non-walkers on Dominaria like Joda by thousands Mm -hmm. of years. It, it, it It predates Dominaria to a large degree. The plane is there, but none of the civilizations that we would identify as Dominarian are there yet. Yeah, this takes place between the Age of the Thrawn and the Brothers War, rough, some, somewhere in that several thousand year gap. Um, which I'm actually 
I, I was excited to get some more story in that gap period too, because there's there's a lot of space there that can be filled in. I honestly liked getting to go to Keld before it was Keld because I've always liked that region. Yeah, yeah, I, I did, and um, just kind of noticing that um, in the first few pages, even you, um, it gets to that concept of things changing. Is that you have. Nahiri, not yet the Lithomancer, Girdra, already the Doom of the Depths, and then um, the Mountain, not yet Keld, and that kind of, that pattern follows through early in the story. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's a it, great way to kind of frame that conversation about change. Yeah. Which, also, I, I love that this is a story, I mean, there's obviously conflicts that happen as backdrop or that are in in the thing but i love that this is a story being told that isn't just people throwing spells at each other sort of thing which is i mean a lot of what the card game magic is itself and so it's nice to have stories that are building the characters outside of those tense those smaller pick moments i was always an x-men fan and the reason that i was an x-men fan was because they played baseball like there were all these other superhero comics, but they never got to just play baseball or have a slumber party. You didn't have the feeling that they knew and liked each other. Mm-hmm. And I want to know that the Planeswalkers, at least within certain axes, know and like each other. Yeah, it's it's kind of the story is bigger than the pages that it's contained on. Mm-hmm. Or the 30 minute episode of the show or whatever the, the particular medium is. Yeah, that feeling of world comes from stuff other than just the fights. Yeah, and the worlds in this are like you visit a lot of planes, and they are very visually distinct. Yes, um, and the idea is that um, you know Nahiri becomes friends with this mountain and starts bringing her friend bits of other planes to experience because the mountain cannot leave, and um. You know, the building of communities and friendships is largely why I'm still interested in magic at all. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of it, um, I've made most of my good friends through magic, uh, a large percentage of them. And it's uh, you know, just finding that thing that brings people together, even if it's just sharing rocks, is... Uh, you know, that was really touching to me in this story. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, for me, the important thing was you can watch the mountain teach her what consent is. Yes. Yes. Because that has never happened with Nahiri. Again, she was a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it feels weird to be calling a 19-year-old a baby, but I have asked um, people to look at her first card and tell me how old they think that girl is. And the guesses come between 16 and 19. So I'm erring on the side of legality to have a little bit of sympathy for Soren. Um, but, you know, she was a teenager. How many of us were that good at consent when we were teenagers? Oh, I know. Me? I'm definitely not. And, you know, yes. how many people, how many teenagers giving godlike powers are, are going to have any idea what to do with them? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to show something that Nahiri would, would care about the opinion of, you know, here's the only mountain she's ever found that will actually talk to her, that will will interact with her. She wants that mountain to like her. So when the mountain starts saying friends ask, and it's not okay to do things without people's permission, she's actually going to listen. Yeah. 
that was uh that was really key and it kind of goes into my next question is uh-huh. how do you approach taking a character largely portrayed as a villain and make them likable it helps if you like them um you know i uh it it was strongly recommended that i avoid soren markov as much as possible because i'm not sure i could write soren sympathetically um but if you like a character it doesn't matter if they're a bad guy or a good guy you're going to find the motivations they speak to uh with mihiri a lot of the key is that when i'm dealing with the terrible things that she's done that we know she's done i have to keep track of the still murder part like i'm not trying to make you forgive her for the things that she actually did that were bad um if you've read my ajani comic which was also by boom there is a sequence with nahiri who shows up on innistrad and uh, arlen is pretty much just down to kill her immediately like arlen is not here to listen to nahiri's excuses nor should she be what nahiri did to her is not necessarily ever forgivable and that I th- is something I would love to explore. I would love to do a story or a comic where Nahiri and Arlen have to work together for some reason, because Nahiri is Arlen Soren in a way. She didn't have nearly as much time to torment and mess her up, but she is the older planeswalker who, instead of being a role model, became a force for destruction. Yeah, and... Um... You know, Alex is largely tuned out of current story due to, uh, you know, how he feels about Phyrexians in general. But there is a lot of opportunity coming forward, I think, where we might see more of those interactions in the canon story. Mm-hmm. And, and I Are think we to, not a Phyrexia fan? Well, it's I'm trying to is the number of times I've explained this, you'd think I'd have a better way of explaining it. But um, ultimately for, for me, there's something about the story type, the archetype of basically what happened to Tamio and I know others mm-hmm. that is really viscerally repellent to me or so. Like I get a very strong negative reaction that is not comfortable to feel. That's and so fair. I have mostly checked out of the story. And then, uh, also there's the whole sort of Damocles thing hanging over the rest of the story of this. And, I want to be very clear when I talk about this too, that I'm not saying it's bad. I th- right. Obviously the story has done its job. It's gotten a reaction out of me and people are engaging with it. I'm so glad that people are engaging with it, but it, I, I just can't right now. That so. is completely reasonable. I mean, to be quite honest, I am not a big fan of Phyrexia either. I don't like mutative body horror that doesn't, involve an opt-in on the part of the characters experiencing it Mm -hmm. you know seth brundle becoming a fly because he decided to get drunk and use his telepod that's a hubristic opt-in i touched a rock and now i have 17 arms and i'm eating my baby is not an opt-in it's just unpleasant like i don't want infectious space nazis but yeah yeah and it's like the inversion of people's wills yeah is what really I think is what really bothers me the most. So we'll see. I, I have unfortunately gotten more of the story than I've meant to, but in the next, you know, however long as things start to progress and it's things start to push back, I'm going to go through and catch up at some point, but I have. Yeah. Phyrexia all will be one story starts on January 12th. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and then we've got March of the machines after, which is going to be, 
if we still did the block format, this would actually be a block. Phyrexia all will be one, March of the Machines, and March of the Machines epilogue would be the three set block. Um, and then and they've, then, been, they've and started announcing stuff after that, and it's on planes like Eldraine and Ixalan, and the logos are not Phyrexian, so I think we still have some hope. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, from a weird, more callous, capitalistic looking at it, the story has to get back to a point at some point where they can continue to move forward. I So I, I'm not concerned about that. But yeah, and I especially just think- the last couple of years, I was really engaging. Like I was really they're getting back to stories that I could really engage with and stuff. And then this happened. It's like, well. People who are talented are working on stories that people like, but this is a story I can't deal with. So that which is completely is, fair. Yeah, which is great that we get these side stories, even if they're not canon. We get something completely out there. You know, the Ajani comic was a, a very refreshing when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's part of the reason I love this Nahiri comic as much because, like, this is some great magic story that I can engage with right now. Yep, no Phyrexia in the comics right now. Um, the Ajani comic, they did not tell me that they would be releasing the cinematic revealing that Ajani had been Phyrexianized on the same day the comic came out, and that that was great. Yeah, that was... Um, and it's kind of sorry that I started this detour. It's just bringing up the, like, Nahiri and Arling having to getting along is kind of hey, just can't... a sort of on-topic thing that yeah, um, yeah I kind of don't hand. want to see them getting along because I push back very enthusiastically. Well, enthusiastic is probably the wrong word, but very firmly against the idea of Soren and Nahiri making amends. I don't think that what he did can be forgiven, and I don't think that what she did can be forgiven. Yeah, I would. I would not like to see that. I am not a big fan of redemption arcs in general. Um, you know, I, uh, I I just have a serious issue in a lot of cases of that we were just trying to kill each other, but now we're going to be best friends trope. Um, unless it involves, you know, lesbians and swords, but that's a whole different topic. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I'd say, I don't know where I'm at exactly on redemption arcs, but I, I do know I, I like the idea that someone who's done something horrible now has to live with that and start to move forward from that. Yeah, and that's um, why I really like what they've done with Liliana in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yep. They they have not redeemed Liliana, but she is living with the outcome of what has happened. Yes. Not much better. So, um, the next question is, how does your writing process change when writing for a visual medium um, in collaboration with artists compared to writing your own stories that are just text? Uh, so the, the thing I really had to learn to start doing comics, like the hard part, was that not every panel actually matters as much as you think it does. So if you're going to describe something, like really describe it, you have to focus on the things that actually matter. Uh, You can't just go, this is the desk and here are the 90 things on the desk. That is unfair to your artist. You have to go, here is the desk. There is a pin shaped like a cat 
on the desk. This is going to be important in three panels. And so you have to basically strip out your visual clutter in a big way. Um, you know, big chunks of this comic are Nahiri having a conversation with a mountain. This is not the most visually exciting thing anyone has ever done. And finding ways to vary the angle and change the descriptive angle so that the artist would have new things to do and wouldn't just be doing talking heads in a brick wall was really a fascinating challenge. Um, but also sometimes your artist will not read your intent correctly. And unfortunately, because art takes longer than text in almost all cases, it's very unlikely that you'll get the chance to have that, um, to have that fixed or amended. Um, there is exactly one panel in the whole comic that was not drawn according to the script. Uh, and that is, as you get toward the end of the book, you will find that there's a point where Teferi has to explain the mending to Nahiri. And that is because I went back over absolutely everything that had been written involving Nahiri after she came out of the Halo Vault. No one ever explained to her. There is no point, even during War for the Spark, where somebody's like, hey, Nahiri, maybe you should know this is going to happen now. No. They're just like, nope, she's fine. She'll be fine. She doesn't need to know. So she has no idea what the mending is. And uh, when Teferi's like, the mending did this thing, and she goes, the what? There was supposed to be a panel of just Teferi's face with this oh crap expression as he realizes that he is locked in a mountain with a lethamancer and is about to tell her that her power has been permanently reduced. And that he um, now the artist thought that it was just a way to move the line across and so drew Nahiri again, thinking that it was no big deal. And that actually made me really sad because I wanted to see poor Teferi's oh crap face. Yeah, I that would have been that would have been great. I I can see the expression right now, <laughs> which is that, that that grandfatherly face. You just oh, how do I explain this? But and this is a tie into just how the story wraps up. Uh, I didn't mean to bring it to this place, but the Teferi explains it to her, and she's actually, she's, you know, a lot of the walkers said, oh, we used to be gods once, but she was excited for this change. Because it meant she could change again. It means she gets to get old, which I think that in perfect opposition to Liliana, someone who has been on her plane for this long and watched her entire empire fall, watched everyone she's ever known or loved get old and die. The idea that she would get to do the same thing is going to be really exciting. Yeah. And, and this is, it's just hit me now as we're talking about it, but this is a great sort of fra different framing of the whole immortality conversation that happens in fiction a lot, usually ironically around vampires. But like by comparing like Nahiri, no, her, her closest peer is this mountain. You, you, it kind of helps you understand this is a very different thing that most people don't have to deal with that she's now having to reckon with. Yeah. It's uh and just the end of the story in general and bringing it back to present day Keld was fantastic. I, yes. I really loved how you wrapped that. Um, I love seeing Rada in the comics. She's one of my favorite Planesbound characters. Uh, 
you know, her showing up and, and becoming buddy buddy with Nahiri is something I want to see more of. I just kind of love buff gray skinned girls chilling with each other. Yeah, uh, and Rada's definitely buff. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people um, don't like her body style, but I am all there for it. Oh. I, mean, more... I don't understand why you wouldn't. She looks fantastic. Yeah. Also, Rada doesn't care what you think about her body style, so She's there's also that. Skull anyways. Yeah, like your, your skull will crush no matter what. Um, but that was actually part of how we settled on Dominaria was because the mountain in Keld went through that transformation already in the canon. And especially when writing about villainous characters or characters that have usually been presented in a villainous way, it's very important to try to find as much already written in the canon as possible. Uh, because that way you have something to kind of back up your thesis a little bit. I'm saying Nahiri is not innately a complete monster. Well, clearly I'm just biased. No, yeah. look, here are these other six things that support the idea that maybe Nahiri was not born eating puppies. Yeah. It's... <sighs> she got there through a, a long process of being terribly traumatized repeatedly and then being tossed in a timeless void of, you know, with a bunch of demons for 1100 years. Yeah. And finding out that the dude who did a lot of the things that she has valid reason to be mad about went home and made an angelic OC who looks like their kid. Like Nahiri has some real good reasons to be in a real bad mood. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do hope, um, we get to see her continue to fight with Soren with a little less collateral damage in the future. Um, but I, it, it is one of the rivalries in magic that I am most excited to see continue. That would be nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things we do in this podcast, we talk about the story. We also talk about the real life and there was a lot in this comic that, um, we can bring into real life. And I think one of the first things is just, you know, how do you deal with, you know, the trauma that you have when you have a lack of friends or a lack of support network and you're going through these big problems. And um, I think you nailed this feeling with Nahiri is she's going through all these things, but doesn't have anyone to really talk to about it until she meets the mountain. And, you know, don't use your friends for therapy, but in her case... You know, I think the, the mountain was just there to listen to her, and that's what she needed a lot of at the time. And, yeah. you know, we didn't have the page count for it necessarily, but Nahiri is also listening to the mountain. The yes. mountain is just as lonely as she is. It is. It's just as lonely, and, um, you know, none of the other mountains she ever finds uh, talk back to her the way this one does. And, um, you know, it's like a unique existence in the multiverse. So, yeah, they, they become each other's first friends and have a lot to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I felt sad for the mountain when Nahiri was gone for 6,000 years, when she was uh, occupied and imprisoned. Yep. You know, I... it, you did Sorry, a really go good job of making me feel sad for a mountain. <laughs> Thank you. 
I, I felt so terrible for it when it became very clear as I'm running these timelines that because of the timing on the Gila Vault, she wouldn't be able to, she wouldn't have been able to be there anyway because Dominaria was cut off after the Silex explosion for so long. So she, even if she had been able to be pounding her fists against the gate, she couldn't have gotten onto the plane as the eruption was coming. Yeah. There is no timeline where they could have discussed that. But for the mountain, it must have been so scared. Yeah. And also feeling like it was letting Nahiri down because she had been gone for a long time before and came back and it had promised her that it would still be there. Yeah, and I loved how you left a message with the Keldons for her. Thank you. Yeah, that provides some kind of closure, but it it really is is you know how how do people handle this the loneliness and what it mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. what it takes you know and how to deal with this and I can say from you know prior to transitioning I was kind of in a continual state of loneliness I didn't have any friends I didn't have a lot going on in my life and right you know that's changed uh, significantly in the last few years and I'm thankful for that but. Um, you know, it's kind of the way I put it in the show notes is, you know, find your mountain. Yeah. And speaking to my own, my own experiences, I, I have social anxiety and, and about 10 years ago or so I, I went, was undiagnosed at the time and I had a panic attack and then went, started to see a therapist and started to work through things and realize, get my diagnosis and start to realize, well, this was uh Fortunate timing for me because it was when Gate Gate Crash came out, and I loved the original Ravnica block. So, not really thinking that this is what I was doing, I started. I went back to Magic. I started playing at a local store, and I learned very quickly that this was a good environment for me to learn how to talk to people again because there wasn't any pressure in the conversations. I could sit down, play a game with someone, and if I wasn't in a mood where I could sit and talk, I could just say, "Good game, we're done." I I leave, and it's fine. And so that's where the magic community, that's kind of where I became a part of the magic community. And that became so important for me, kind of my mountain in that way, you know, led to finding other friends, led to this podcast, eventually finding friends through um, some local friends and going to Grand Prix and stuff. And, and it's been a big part of magic is a big part of my life now, even if I don't play very often, and that kind of all came from going to Friday Night Magic because I, I wanted to see what was going on with Ravnica. Yeah, I mean, magic has been that for, I think, a lot of people. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or whatever. It gives you a shared um, a shared community, and it gives you a language in common, which is so important. Yeah, that's definitely true for me. You know, I, uh, I, I am very thankful that I get to play with Seanan on a regular basis, and the rest of uh, our local play group is they're just a fun, a fun group of people to be around, and... Uh, uh, fun group of people to get killed by on a regular basis. Um, I, you know, get my face eaten by Eldrazi. Uh, you are helping me become a less terrible player. Yeah, I I try. I you know, um, gotta remind the gotta remind the blue player to keep their blue mana open. Yeah, I got out for a long time. I'm not natively a blue player either, so I I like try to try to bring my lessons to you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I got out of magic just the whole the whole thing for a long time. Um, and 
Then they asked if I wanted to write for it, and then my cards became tax deductible, and oh dear God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you're here writing for the story, though. I can't wait to see what's in the future. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. um, I am really having a truly wonderful time. Yeah. um, Thank you for, you know, adding to this world that we really love and I look forward to what's coming in the future. Thank you for trusting me. I mean, the the biggest problem with doing any IP work isn't the licensors, though sometimes I want to hit people with sticks. Um, And it isn't the people that aren't going to like whatever you do because they'll never like what you do. It's the people who really, really care. And the fact that those people are are trusting me and you're trusting Kira and you're trusting this whole new generation of magic writers to play with things that are incredibly important to you and that matter to you so much more than we do as people, it really does mean a huge amount to us, to like all of us. Um, when I got to write for Liliana in Dominaria, the whole time I was doing it, I was just thinking, well, if I get this wrong, Kira's going to kill me with a hammer. You you nailed it, though. You you brought a, you know, 10-year-plus fan theory into the canon and in a way that really everybody loved, I think. I didn't see any real negative reaction to that story, and I thought it was it was great and just... The idea of burying the ring deeper and giving her some power over the situation was... uh, I just had a great time asking them about different ways that I could kill Phyrexians. (laughs) They're just like, can you do what to them? Can you... uh, We we never said you couldn't, so sure, you can rot Phyrexians to death. Are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's great. Thank you for being part of the story. Um, Alex, do you have anything you want to add before we um, go to closing thoughts here? No, that covers the questions I had. We'd love to have you back in the future to discuss um, some of your other story work. Uh, Hopefully we'll have some more coming up and then just, Wider, you're very open about talking about um, mental health issues and your life on your Twitter, and we would love to talk to you more in the future. I would be more than happy to. So, thank you, Sean. And is there anything you want to plug? I know you always have a new book coming out. You're so prolific. Um, my next book comes out in January, um, and that is Lost in the Moment and Found, and that is the next of the Wayward Children books, which is my series of novellas about children that have gone through strange portals or fallen through doors and gone to their own perfectly tailored fantasy lands. Um, And then Lost in the Moment and Found is the first of those to come with a content warning. And it's not a joke. Um, So please, uh, if you decide to pick up the book, which I would really like because that is how I feed my cats and buy more magic cards, um, do read the content warning at the start of the book first. I don't want to hurt you or make you mad at me. Thank you. Thank you. And we appreciate this so much. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. Tay can be found at Taya Transcends. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lord Pod on Twitter. 
or email us at goblinlordpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>